Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self. Can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head. But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self hatred for a chance at believing? Welcome to episode 54 of the Lovable Podcast, the last episode of this podcast. This week, we're going to do more than just sum up the content of this podcast so far. We are going to add one final invaluable insight to your journey of growth and transformation. And here it is. Seeing life as a straight line is a disease that will keep you ashamed and sick. And experiencing life and growth as a circle is essential to transformation and healing. We'll be unpacking that idea throughout the final episode and in doing so, hopefully add a little more grace to your journey. Before we get into this episode though, I have a whole new set of announcements for you that you have never heard before. Um, First of all, I just wanna briefly thank everyone who has participated in this podcast, whether it was on Facebook Live, just listening in or contributing, asking questions, adding your own insights, sharing your own experiences. Um, Whether you've been just listening to this podcast uh, through iTunes or through my website um, and supporting it in that way um, and engaged with it in that way, or really anybody who has supported and encouraged me or this book of mine, Lovable, over the past two years, just want to express my gratitude to you once again. This this has been an incredible experience. We're going on really two years um, from the from the time that I saw the cover of Lovable for the first time to, to the final recording of this episode. And uh, it's been quite a journey. Thank you for, for going on the journey with me. The other announcement is this. If you have gone through this podcast and you want to go even deeper into these ideas and take your growth and you're becoming to a whole new level, I actually have four ways for you to do so. All right. The first one you've heard, you go to drkellyflanagan.com backslash experience. That's dr kellyflanagan.com backslash experience. You'll find the lovable study experience. It's completely free. Um, You'll get access to all of the written content we've gone through in this episode. Uh, You'll have all the podcast episodes organized for you there by week. Um, And you'll also get a free individual and group study guide for lovable. So feel free to go there. And uh, if you're, if you haven't done that before, if you want to go there and dig even deeper into all of this content, feel free to do so. The second is this. Um, I'm going to be outside of Park City, Utah in April, the end of April, um, and we are going to do a lovable weekend on a remote ranch outside of Park City, Utah. It is going to be an incredibly special experience, and if you are interested in joining us that weekend by yourself um, with a, a friend or a spouse or a partner or a group of people, then go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com backslash speaking. Again, that's Dr. Kelly Flanagan, dr. kellyflanagan.com backslash speaking. Um, and uh, through the speaking inquiry form, send me uh, an email. And uh, 
In about uh, two or three weeks, I'm going to have all of the information necessary to register for that, and I'll be making a broader announcement. But if you email me now, I'll make sure you get a special email um, when all of that is ready to register. So go to that page. Um, I'd love to meet you in Utah. My wife will be with me. We're going to have a blast. It's going to be incredible. So look forward to seeing you there. And third, um, the third way to go deeper into all of these ideas, I'm super excited to announce this to you. It's the first time I'm announcing it publicly. I have signed a contract to write my second book. Um, the working title is True Companions, a book for everyone about what it takes to grow old together. I don't know if that's where we'll end up on title and subtitle, but that gives you the gist of what we're talking about right now. If, if anything about um, the belonging portion of Lovable resonated with you, or my marriage manifesto that you've got in your hands on for free, or any of my blog posts or speaking about marriage and relationships and companionship, if, if that has spoken to you, um, this book is going to be a way to, to dig even deeper into those ideas and to enrich your relationships and your companionship that much more. So um, if you are interested in that, make sure you are signed up for my mailing list. There will be email updates over the coming year about that project and, uh, and how to get connected with it. So make sure you're signed up at drkellyflanagan.com. Go to the right sidebar, sign up for my email updates, and, and you'll be sure to get those. The last uh, way to go deeper with this content is just to listen to this episode and receive the encouragement that it gives you to begin all over again at the beginning of this podcast. Maybe you go back and read Lovable again, and then you listen to all these episodes once more. Or maybe you just cycle, uh, even next week, right back to week one, and you begin the podcast all over again. But we'll be talking more about that as we go through this week's episode. Okay, let's get into this week's content now. Uh, first, I'm going to read to you the conclusion of Lovable. It's relatively brief, um, and it's going to give you a really good context for the conclusion to this companion book. Um, so here it is, the conclusion to Lovable, entitled Seasons, Sequels, and Souls. It begins with an epigraph by T.S. Eliot. And the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and to know the place for the first time. We're all traveling in circles. I live in a part of the world where the earth won't let you ignore that fact. We have seasons. I think of autumn as the beginning, the point we're always returning to, probably because I usually think of dying as a new beginning rather than an end. So in my part of the world, autumn invites us into winding down, into stillness. Winter invites us to gather together with our people around a warm hearth, to draw closer, to rest, and to be restored. Then spring invites us into resurrection, into action and vibrancy and life. And finally, summer invites us all to come together, to congregate and celebrate outdoors, to enjoy the bounty emerging from our circular journey. Then, of course, we find ourselves in the dying season again. I'm grateful for the seasons. I'm glad to be reminded everything cycles. Everything comes and goes and comes again. Without the seasons, I might every year hurdle millions of miles through space, only to return to the same place and never realize it. The seasons go in a circle, and the whole planet orbits in a circle and rotates in a circle, and is a circle of sorts. Our lives go in circles, too. We come from the darkness of the womb and return to the darkness of the grave, from ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Every day and year and life, it seems, comes back around to where it began. Does this sound like fatalism? Does it sound like I'm saying we never really get anywhere? Because that's not what I mean. What I mean is, the kind of progress we've been talking about in these pages follows the same pattern as the rest of life in the universe. It happens in circles. As I mentioned earlier, my psychiatrist friend pointed out that spiritual growth is like climbing a mountain. 
It's not linear, and you can't race straight up the side of it. You have to circle the mountain gradually. In our lives, we may circle the mountain once, releasing our shame and settling into our worthiness, letting go of our facade and finding true belonging, becoming aware of the thing we're here to do and finally doing it, only to face a frustratingly similar view once again. For instance, as we practice our passion, our shame might get triggered unexpectedly, or in a moment of vulnerability, our belonging might suddenly be cast into doubt all over again, or a newfound interest or a devastating disappointment may call our passion and our purpose into question once more. That's okay. It doesn't mean you've failed, it means you've continued. That's how the climb is supposed to go. You are simply seeing the same things from a little higher up. When this happens, it doesn't mean your story is over. It means it's time to write a sequel. And in each sequel, you'll release another piece of your shame, refine your community a little more, and become aware of a subtle nuance or new direction, perhaps even a new purpose for your passion. The good news is, gradually, as you write your sequels, the going will get a little easier, because you'll learn how to focus on the act you are in at any given time. You will learn, when it feels like you're living a little bit of each act all at once, to identify which act your soul is currently most engaged with, and you will get better and better at collecting your scattered energies and bringing them to bear upon the tasks of that act. When, for example, out of nowhere, your shame picks up a megaphone and begins to drown out all of your other voices, including Grace, especially Grace, you'll recognize Act 1 for what it is. You'll know right away you need to slow down, be still, breathe, and listen, waiting it out until the whisper of worthiness returns and you get to hear something new and good about your true self. Then, with a newfound assurance of the beautiful thing you are, you'll go to your people and create even more beautiful belonging with them, even more vulnerability and tenderness, more grace and forgiveness, more sacrifice and compassion. And the cycle will go on, until, once again, you arrive where you started and know yourself for the first time. I remember reading the Harry Potter books for the first time, the beloved characters, the relationships between them, the increasingly clear purpose of their arcing narrative, the inevitable march to the final showdown, the way love wins, the world of magic with its own vocabulary, its schools, its culture and norms and mores, its shops and its commerce, its habits and its rhythms. It's a world I didn't want to leave, a story I didn't want to end. I remember how slowly I turned the pages as the story neared its conclusion. The tenderness I felt as the pages at the front of the seventh book began to outnumber the pages at the back. I remember setting it down from time to time so I could savor it. Because though I felt an urge to rush through and find out how it all ended, I knew more than anything else I just wanted to cherish it and to slow, slow, slow. A life well told works the same way. As your journey cycles upward toward the summit, you will retain some of the urgency of your youth. A part of you will desperately want to know how it all ends, but it is gradually replaced by another kind of urgency. It's an urgency that, paradoxically, leads to a slowing down. The urge to collect a bunch of experiences is replaced by an urge to dispense with distractions. The urge to be higher is replaced by an urge to be here. To take in the view that with each step upward is becoming increasingly vast, and thus increasingly beautiful. More and more you will be aware the last page is coming and your story will end. More and more you will want to pause the journey and savor it. It's late afternoon sometime in the spring of my fifth grade year, not long after moving out of the trailer park and back to my hometown. My new best friend and I are playing in a field near his home in the country. The first part of the memory is shapeless and unformed. I can't remember exactly what we were doing, but I'm guessing we were playing like boys do, 
tossing a baseball probably, and telling jokes we shouldn't have been telling. Like I said, the memory is hazy. Until it isn't. The memory suddenly takes shape when we hear the yell. From his house, somewhere over the hill, his mother is yelling his sister's name repeatedly. We look at each other, and then we look in the direction of the house, and just as we're setting our sights on the hilltop, his little sister comes bursting over the horizon. She's only been walking for a few months, but as she is moving fast. She has a smile plastered from one ear to the other. She's giggling with delight, and she's wearing nothing but a diaper. She runs toward us through the long prairie grass, and it quickly becomes clear she just wants to join us. She's a soul wearing skin and little else, and she simply wants to play. The years have come and gone, and with the years, many memories have slipped into my mental abyss. But this one, this one remains. The image of her cresting the hill is etched in my mind. I remember her mother hollering, and I remember her bouncing toward us through the long grass, and I remember thinking, I want to be like her again. By fifth grade, there was already a little one in me longing to be himself once again. That was almost 30 years ago. My body has aged a lot in those years. It has an odd new shape, wrinkles where things used to be smooth, less hair than ever before, and the hair that's left is quickly fading to gray. The aging of my body isn't slowing down anytime soon. Yet I've noticed my soul seems to be aging in reverse. I'm a little way up the mountain now, and I'm closer than ever to granting that little guy inside of me his wish from so long ago. My soul seems to be shedding weight. It's feeling more limber and agile than I can ever remember. It's gathering energy, and the spark within it is growing brighter, pushing back my darkness like a little kid running through a field pushing back grass, just wanting to play. So here I am, with this love letter, knocking on your door, as if it's late on a Friday afternoon sometime in the spring of our fifth grade year, knocking and asking, do you want to come out and play? So that is the conclusion to Lovable, um, and it is the context for this final reading from our companion book here that we'll be doing here in a minute or two. Um, you know, this conclusion to Lovable is also, as you can see, an invitation. It's a, an invitation to live increasingly from your center, from your true self, from your soul, and to engage with the playfulness that is there at the center. Um, now, I'm, I'm a serious person. <laughs> I like thinking about and talking about serious things, and it is not always easy for me to connect with that playful place at the center of me, but I know it's there. Um, and, uh, and, and perhaps you're finding yourself at this stage, maybe you've gone on this journey with us, you've read Lovable and you've listened to these podcasts, and still it feels difficult to embrace this idea that there is a playfulness at the center of you, a freedom to simply be uh, and to enjoy. And that's okay. That's not unusual at all. Um, in fact, what we're going to be focusing on with today's reading and the conclusion to the year of listening, loving, and living is this idea that, that our growth is not a straight line, um, that this place you find yourself at is not a conclusion. Um, it can be a new beginning. It can be a jumping off point uh, for cycling through this journey all over again, this progression uh, from worthiness through belonging to passion and purpose. So um, so why don't we get into this week's reading uh, from the companion book, the conclusion to it, and uh, and then we will go forward from there thinking about what it would lo will look like from here to live your life as, a, as the circle that it actually is. The conclusion to the companion book is entitled Before We Begin Again. And it begins with a uh, it begins with a, an epigraph from Stephen King. Uh, it goes like this: Life is a wheel, and it always comes back around to where it started. Um, I think that's from The Stand, but I'm not entirely sure. 
So here's the rest of that conclusion. Several years ago, we took down the Christmas tree, again. The year before, the ritual had been depressing to me, not because the holiday season was over, but because we'd done it before, many times. It felt like somehow, after a year of striving and scrambling and doing and accomplishing, we were right back where we started, square one. We hadn't progressed, we'd returned. It turns out life isn't a straight line, it's a circle. If you can't accept that, it can be pretty depressing. At least that's what an African immigrant had told me, right before he fired me. At the time, I'd been completing my postdoctoral residency, moving forward and rushing ahead, and he had just arrived in the States to continue his own education. In the course of the initial interview, I asked him where he hoped to be in five years. He looked confused. I asked him why. He told me. In the United States, he said, we expect progress all the time. We're always trying to get somewhere else. We think life is a straight line. But where he came from, they were farmers. Seasons mattered. And the seasons came and went and returned again. They knew life was a circle. Everything comes and goes and returns again. Everything. Our sadness, our joy, the things we love and the things we don't. I only saw him once. He never came back. And now I know why. I couldn't help him, because I was in denial about how life really works. I couldn't accept life as about circularity and rhythm and returning. I couldn't accept that all of existence is in orbit. Everything from massive planets to microscopic cells are moving in a circle. I couldn't accept that, as Stephen King says, life is a wheel and always returns to where it started. Why do we forget this? I think it's because we suffer from the disease of the straight line. We've been taught to believe life is only meaningful if we're getting from here to there, doing a lot, becoming more important, accruing more stuff, feeling safer, and increasing our comfort. Even the good work of redeeming the world can become its own straight line as we single-handedly try to move the world from point A to point B. We pretend life is what it's not. We need to get real about how this whole thing works. We need to bend our lives back into the circle they already are. The year of listening, loving, and living has now walked with you through an entire voyage around the sun, which means regardless of what time of year it is, today is New Year's Day for you, which also means whether it's January, May, or August, it's time to make a New Year's resolution. When it's time for New Year's resolutions, we get flooded by articles about change and transformation, why most of us will fail, and how to become the exception. Most of these articles are written by well-meaning individuals trying to convince us of their formula for progressing along the straight line they prefer. They unfortunately spread the straight line disease. They don't help us understand how to live within the circular reality of all things. No wonder our resolutions fail. So as we conclude this particular leg, lap, of our journey, I'm not going to invite you onto my straight line. I'm going to invite you to get off of yours with one 20-minute resolution that will take you back to where you began. For 20 minutes a day, just breathe. Breathe in, breathe out. For 20 minutes, get off your straight line and experience the circular rhythm that keeps you alive. Don't try to breathe better. Don't try to do anything. Just notice. Each breath, while seemingly the same as the one before it, is different, unique, new. Begin to witness the endless variety within the circular rhythm of your breathing. One breath at a time, break your addiction to the straight line by experiencing how every time you return to something old, it is the first time, indeed the only time. When you forget for a day or two or ten, begin again when you remember. Forgetting and remembering is a circular rhythm, too. The following year, we took the Christmas tree down, again. The year before, it had been depressing, but this time it was joyful because at the moment of returning to the familiar, I let go of my straight line just a little bit more. I embraced the rhythm of my life. 
I paid attention until I became aware of this. Like most of life, it is the same thing as always for the first time ever. The only time ever. The previous year, my daughter hadn't been old enough to handle the delicate ornaments. The previous year, my boys hadn't been dancing to Uptown Funk by Bruno Mars, and my daughter hadn't been lip-syncing to Taylor Swift. The previous year, the sun wasn't sending pale rays onto the living room floor, and that vanilla candle wasn't burning, and this particular moment wasn't happening. The previous year, I hadn't been breathing my way into the rhythm of it. It was the same, yet new. Maybe better, maybe not, but, but definitely new. Life isn't a line, it's a circle. Resolve to breathe it in and breathe it out. Fall into the rhythm of the way the world spins and the way this life unfolds. It might just change everything while changing nothing at all. It might just make everything new. And if you are so inclined, you might just return to the start of this book and begin again. If you do, I think you'll find you are beginning it for the first time as well, because it will be a new you beginning it. Much will have changed during your year of intentionality. You will have embraced yourself a little more, deepened your circles of belonging, and risked coming fully alive in the things you do. With the lovable identity you've embraced, you will return once again to the beginning, and you will discover there that the voice of grace is still whispering, still delighting in you, still waiting to show you new depths to your worthiness, still inviting you to write the next chapter in a story only you can tell. All right, folks, that is the, the conclusion to the year of listening, loving, and living very intentionally crafted as not a conclusion necessarily, but a new beginning. Um, and there are so many ways that we could articulate that when we get to the end of something, we find ourselves just really starting over again, um, hopefully a little bit higher up on that journey up of the mountain that we call, we call growth and becoming. Um, this happened to me recently, just this past weekend. I was uh, I, I had the good fortune I, to speak at a, a church in Green Bay where I, I spoke earlier in March. Um, and uh, here I am speaking again, you know, what, about nine months later. And uh, it's a big church. Um, the speaker is in the center. Um, you're, you're speaking in the round. Um, the first time I did it, it was an intimidating experience. It stirred up all sorts of issues of shame and questions of will I be good enough. And... Um, and so when I woke up this time uh, on the morning that I would speak, it, you know, it wasn't like I it wasn't like I didn't have some shame bubbling up. It wasn't as if I had sort of um, conquered that and, and moved on closer to the end of my straight line. In a way, I felt like I was sort of back at the beginning. I woke up with a sense of anxiety and sort of that shame whisper coming on again, saying, "You got to be great. You got to be great." And uh, and so it was a chance to re-engage my shame and listen for the voice of grace all over again um, from a little higher up the mountain. And, uh, and that's the way it works. So um, there is no practice for this conclusion. Um, there is no practice for this week. Um, there is only an encouragement for you to return to the beginning of this podcast um, or to the beginning of this companion book if you're reading through it and, uh, and to, to begin anew. And even that practice for today, that encouragement for you to breathe, you'll discover that's right about where you begin um, as you begin this year of listening, loving, and living all over again. So um, I want to leave you with that encouragement in this podcast. And I also want to leave off um, with a final letter that I wrote to my kids, the final letter to my kids in Lovable. Um, and I'm going to read that for you now, and then we will wrap up this podcast for good. It is entitled, A Last Letter to My Little Ones, In Case I'm Not Around for the Important Moments. Dear Little Ones, 
I wrote this book for you because I could die any day. Don't worry, I'm not sick. I'm just human, which is to say fragile and fleeting and unable to know when it's all going to end. Your mama thinks I'm silly for thinking about that all the time, and maybe I am, but I just can't seem to help it, so I wrote every word of this book with you in mind. The whole time I was thinking what I may not be around for. Aiden, I thought of you in middle school with your first crush and your first dance coming up. I thought about you maybe asking them to go and them maybe saying no. I thought about all the things the rejection might cause you to conclude about who you are, who you are not, and how worthy you may or may not be to belong. I thought about not being there to hug you when that happens, and it made me ache. Quinn, I thought about your passion for soccer and how whenever you put on your shin guards, you put on a smile. I thought about how much you love to play goalie and how much you pride yourself on shutting out the other team. I thought of how it's going to feel when the boys get bigger and faster and stronger and you can't block every ball anymore. I thought about the way a passion can get smothered when it gets all tangled up with performance. I thought about the smile finally dropping from your face. I thought about not being there to lift up your chin when that happens. And it made me ache. Caitlin, I thought about the joy you bring to everything. How you can turn any fake laugh into a real laugh and how you can turn any real laugh into a memory. But I thought too about those moments when I speak a little too harshly to you or come down a little too hard on you. I thought about the way your chin quivers and your eyes irrigate and I thought, if I can accidentally do that to your heart with a tone, what will the world do to your heart with intent? I thought about not being there to wipe away your tears. And it made me ache. For each of you, I thought about all the things I may not be around to speak into. All the nights before the big tests and the moments before the big games and the graduations and college applications and the first day of your first big job. Or the day you scrap it all to choose art over business. I thought about the day you'll ask someone to marry you or get asked by someone to marry them or decide marriage isn't for you. I thought about the day your first child is born, adopted, or miscarried, or the day you decide parenthood isn't for you. I thought about not being there for you to lean on, and it made me ache. So just in case fortune doesn't smile upon me, I wrote a book for you. I wanted you to know everything I know about the road, how the road to peace goes through worthiness, belonging, and purpose. But the truth is, something a little disconcerting happened in the middle of it. What I know changed while I wrote. For instance, I set out to write a book about banishing shame. Instead, the book started writing me. Now I know we don't banish our shame. We redeem it, slowly, over the course of a lifetime. It never goes away completely. It's always waiting for us around the next bend in the road. When I began, I thought we evict shame from our lives. Now I know we can expect shame in our lives. And when it turns up once more, we welcome it as an opportunity to listen once again for the voice of grace. I set out to write a book about conquering the ego. Instead, the book started writing me. Now I know we don't conquer our ego. We talk with it and try to speak some sense into it. If we're gentle and persistent, then gradually over time we get through to it, and it goes into hibernation for a season. And what a beautiful season it is. A season of vulnerability and connection and belonging and unloneliness. Of course, the season always ends. The ego always awakens from its slumber, and then we begin the conversation all over again. I set out to write a book about world-changing purpose. Instead, the book started writing me. Now I know there are no world-changers. We're not here to be superheroes. We're here simply to do our thing, to let our passion out, to commit to it, and suffer for it if necessary, to redeem some bit of our pain with it, and to find joy in that. So much joy that other people take notice and want to have a little of what we have. We're here to quietly ignite an epidemic of that kind of purposefulness. Little ones, the world doesn't need you to change it. It needs you to love it by doing what you're here to do.
I started this book when I was 36. Now I'm 39. Almost everything I thought I knew changed in three years. How much more will change in the next three? What would I have written if I'd waited until I was 59 to tell you? I can't know and I couldn't wait because there may not be a 59 for me. Yet it's a good reminder we're all learning as we go. Little ones, give yourselves the grace to think you know what you know, to realize you don't, and then to learn it all over again. And the last thing I want you to know is this, not everything changed for me while I wrote. I never stopped believing in the importance of living a good story. Little ones, live the kind of story you'd want to read, the kind of story where you fall in love with every character, find the goodness in all of them, and desperately desire for the brokenness in everybody to be redeemed. Choose for yourself what you'd choose for the most beloved characters in your favorite stories. And then, regardless of how it all turns out, I trust I'll see you on the other side when we exchange this flesh and blood mystery for the mystery that comes after, because I believe there's a story being told there too. Yours forever, Dad. So that's the last letter that I uh, wrote to my kiddos and, and put into Lovable. Um, I hope that I hope that as I read those words, you can receive those words as um, a letter to the little one in you as well. Um, an encouragement to you that um, if you find yourself back at the beginning, wrestling with shame all over again, that's okay. That's the way it's supposed to go. You're going to grow from it. Um, if you find yourself in a, in a relationship that is, is hurting and struggling and, and may not survive and you're, don't, you're just not sure where you belong in the world, that's okay. That's okay. Your sense of worthiness will lead you to new places of belonging. You'll continue to refine your sense of where you belong in the world. And if you feel directionless and like you don't know what you're here for, um, that's okay. Um, I think maybe once every two or three years, we all arrive back at that place, at least every two or three years. Some of us every two or three days, and that's okay. That's, that's the way it works. Um, it will leave you with a feeling that maybe you don't have a purpose. Maybe you don't have a reason. Maybe you're not really good enough for this life. And when you experience that kind of shame in it, you'll start listening for the grace once again. Um, and you'll be reminded of who you are and that your only real purpose here in this life is to be you, um, to reveal that and to live it out in your life. So it's okay if you find yourself at what feels like a new beginning um, because it is going to be a new beginning, a new beginning for new growth and transformation. So this brings us to the conclusion um, of this podcast. I'm, I'm discovering it's hard for me to sign off. Um, last week when we signed off on our last group, Facebook Live um, recorded episode. It was really hard for me to say goodbye. I shared with those who were listening that it, you know, it sort of felt like one of those instances where you just had a really good visit. You've stayed over with a friend, and it's the last morning, and you need to get going. And you're you're talking over breakfast, and you say to yourself, "Well, I really, I really should get going." And you know, you talk for another ten or fifteen minutes, then you look at your watch again. I really should get going. And so you go grab your suitcase and you end up talking for another 10 or 15 minutes and then you, I really should get going. You end up at the door chatting for another, you know, and then you're, oh, I'll walk you to the car. And, and it is so hard for me to let go of and release this podcast um, and to say goodbye to it. So, but what I'm aware of is I can't leave you at the doorway with your coat on <laughs> uh, chatting. And so I need to say goodbye. So rather than make you stand in that doorway, um, let me send you off with this. Friends, you are enough. You are not alone. And you do matter. And you are lovable. Even when you find yourself right back at the beginning. Thanks again for joining us on the Lovable Podcast. 
Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold, and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made from her album Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable. Thank you.